Hey, South Hills. Today, I want to introduce my friend, Allie. Her and her husband, David, many years ago, came across South Hills Burbank and walked in through our doors and really fell in love with our church. And they started volunteering. Sure enough, her talent got sought out and she became a staff member for our South Hills Burbank campus. Recently, God called her to make a difference in women's life who've graduated from the foster system. So she's going to tell us a little bit about this story. So Jacarina Housing is a two-year housing program for young women ages 18 to 22 who are aging out of the foster system or who are struggling with homelessness. About 10 years ago, I was working in Skid Row and seeing the young adults that were living in that area really just broke my heart. And five years ago, I was having a really hard time with my self-worth and so I decided to walk around my neighborhood. What I found was these beautiful jacaranda trees were in full bloom. These trees weren't perfect. They were all kind of twisted and God was like, Allie, see, there's beauty and imperfection, which is why I came up with jacaranda housing. A few years later, the pandemic hit. Everything got shut down and God was like, Allie, I'm giving you time. So I just asked a few people to be on my board and we put together an amazing program. We have some really beautiful partnerships with other local organizations. When Los Angeles Housing did a homeless count, they found that there were over 4,600 transition age youth living on the streets and they end up being trafficked. They end up getting arrested. They end up in trouble with the law. And the most important thing is having someone there to really step in where they're at and, and love on them where they are. I am so proud of you. Uh, I know you and I have talked a lot about this. You stepped out in faith. And so today, anything that we give towards Above and Beyond at all of our campuses is going to be dedicated towards funding Jacaranda Housing. So I want to encourage you to ask God, how can you step out and support in this movement so that Ellie and her team, Jacaranda Housing, can continue to minister to the women who are graduating from the foster system. Good morning. How are you guys? It's good to see you all. Thank you guys for being here. It is May and uh, there's going to be a lot of Justin Timberlake memes happening out there today. Thank you. Three of you get it. Uh, that's okay. Uh, but um, yeah, I'm, uh, my name is Chris Kretzu. I'm the campus pastor here at South Hills in Costa Mesa. And uh, thank you guys for being here and uh, being a part of our services this morning. Thank you guys for those of you that are watching online. I saw Michelle hosting. Thank you for hosting all of our online guests. And uh, I am, uh, you know, it's an interesting week because we're starting off this new series, as you just saw. Uh, this series is called Defeating Depression. And so there's an aspect of this series that uh, is incredibly important. And, uh, and so I am glad that we're talking about it, but it also feels really weird to say I'm really excited for this series. Uh, feels like a little bit off, like there's a lot of conflicting words and emotions, but, but this topic is a really, really important one. And, uh, and I'm going to jump pretty much straight into it. And I just, I want to say from the beginning, if you guys have been a part of South Hills or if you've 
come to our services before, um, you know, we try and do things uh, in a way that's incredibly practical. We try and take the scripture and help us understand what is this Bible verse, what is what God said then have to do with me today and my life now. Um, and uh, and usually I try and make a lot of jokes and like 4% of them are funny. And, and so there's a lot of normal things that we do on a Sunday morning. And today's going to feel a little bit different. Um, one of the things that I hope to do today is to cause us all to feel something. Uh, I want us to feel, I want us to kind of recognize the heaviness uh, that exists in the world. And it's not because I want us to feel hopeless or lost or, or uncomfortable, uh, but it's because I want us to be able to um, turn our eyes and be able to pay attention to and see things that so many wrestle with. And I think it's an important thing for us. Uh, do you guys know that uh, about 20% of people in the USA wrestle with um, depression and anxiety? About 20%. So as we start to have this conversation, you know, one of the first things that uh, many of us uh, start to think through is, well, what does that look like exactly? Um, some of us, um, myself included, uh, I've not wrestled with depression or anxiety on a significant level in my life. Uh, maybe you are, are like me. Some of you, uh, this is a very real battle. This is something that you wrestle with. This is something that you deal with and navigate on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, this series and this message, this is not just for people that wrestle with depression. This is actually a series for all of us because uh, one of the things that we are called to, to do and to be as Jesus followers is to care for and love and to carry the burdens of those that are along, uh, alongside of us. And so it's not just a series for people that wrestle with these things. This is actually an opportunity for us to learn and, uh, and grow in something called compassion and something called empathy and to begin to understand the weight that some people around us are carrying because so many of us, myself included, are, are just kind of oblivious to what it actually feels like. Uh, as I said, I've not personally wrestled with this on a significant level. And so I've tried to do... Um, as much preparation and study as possible because it's a really important topic and I want to do it uh, justice. Uh, I'm not a counselor or a doctor. Uh, I'm barely a pastor. Uh, and so um, I am here to be able to give pastoral uh, perspective and, and look at what the scripture says about this. But one of the things I've talked about for years, and I've tried to always be really honest about this, is that you can believe in Jesus and believe in his power to heal and to make things whole, and you can have a counselor. Those things can coexist, uh, and they do in my life. And I want to invite you to consider not only the spiritual aspects of this, but if any of us, whether it's this topic or anything, if any of us find ourselves in a place where we feel like we need to have some more conversations, um, we are going to share some resources at the end of the service uh, that you guys are able to take home with you and, uh, and, and all those types of things. So a couple caveats there to start. But like I said, about 20% of people in the U.S. deal with depression and anxiety. And so what does that look like? What does it look like when somebody uh, deals with this? And here's what I want to do. It's a little bit different because I know we all come in here and we primarily just look at me and my glorious shirts. Uh, but uh, for just a moment, I want you to look around at each other. Not just the people that you came with, but just you can look across the room. It's a little bit awkward. I get it. Um, and, and, and as you do that, uh, I want you just to consider that this is what depression and anxiety looks like. 
Uh, one out of five people in this room, statistically speaking, deal with this on a significant level. Uh, it may be someone that you talk to every Sunday that smiles and high fives you and drinks five cups of coffee. <laughs> it may be someone in a small group. It may be a, a spouse, and, and you may be aware of this. It may be a niece or a nephew that you are in love with and you had no idea what they were carrying on their own. This is not something that any of us are removed from. Even if we're personally not experiencing the weight of these things, one out of five people in our lives is. And so the invitation for us and what I want to invite us to is to begin to consider what does it look like for us to learn and grow and become acquainted with this conversation so we can care for others. May is National Mental Health Awareness Month. So we're doing this series because it coincides with this. And we really truly believe that part of what we can do to be good neighbors, to be loving people, to be followers of Jesus is actually to become aware of things and to care about things that may not necessarily affect us on a day-to-day basis. We can still care about those other things. We can still love those other things. And so as we go through this conversation, some of us, this will kind of maybe hit really close to home for you, and then some of you, there will be a learning journey. Four out of five of you may actually feel pretty uncomfortable over the next few weeks because these are words and feelings that you may not deal with a whole lot. Uh, And I want to encourage you and challenge you to stay connected, to continue coming. Because um, depression, there there is uh, kind of major depressive orders, there's clinical depression, there's different levels of it. But the the reality is, is that many of us actually deal with this on some level. We just may not actually know what to call it. And so we're going to be talking about some healthy things that help us uh, not only spiritually, but also in our emotional health. So even if you would say, well, I don't know that I am depressed or I deal with depression, but there are things in here that actually help you become a healthier person, both as a follower of Jesus and then also as a friend, as a roommate or a sibling or a coworker or a spouse. And so I'm excited for this series, as difficult as it might be. It hits home for so many of us. Uh, I want to be aware um, that some of you, again, this may be a very heavy and very uh, real topic for you in this moment. Um, And I want to say this because I've already cried like four times this morning because this is a very real topic for me today also. Um, I've been preparing and praying and trying to get ready for all of these things, um, for this series, for this message. Um, And uh, yesterday, I uh, reached out to a friend I haven't spoken with in a while, um, someone who's been a part of this church uh, for a number of years, and I haven't seen him in a few months. And I reached out to them, and we were able to talk for a little bit. And about five minutes into the conversation, he let me know that um, last week he actually attempted suicide. And so I say that because it is a real thing. And I would have never guessed. I would have never known. I would have never assumed. There's this aspect of what this does, and we're going to talk about this, but it it causes us to kind of turn inward, and we don't want to saddle other people with the weight of what we're feeling, or we don't want to scare people off with the intensity of our emotions, which can be a very real thing. Uh, Some of us, in general, are are just a little bit more comfortable with emotions and around that space. I, I am that way. I'm a pretty emotional person, and I'm pretty comfortable with you know, happiness and sadness. And I'm, I'm, I'm okay with, you know, uh, 
Britney Spears and pop music and also just really depressing, uh, sad music. And, and I'm okay kind of swinging this pendulum both ways, but not everybody is wired that way. And one of the things, the primary things I want us to hold on to today, and I want you to, to know today, regardless of kind of where you're at on this journey and in this conversation, and if there's only one thing that you hear today, I think this might be the most important thing, it's that you are not alone. If you are specifically wrestling with depression or anxiety, you are not alone. You're not the only one that feels this way. I know sometimes it can feel like you are the only one in the world that's carrying this weight, and there are others that are also wrestling with this. There's others that have gone on this journey before you that have found hope and healing. You're not alone, and you're also not alone because at this church, we really want to be a family. We want to care for and love each other, even in things that we don't understand. Even in things that may be difficult for some of us as individuals, we still want to lean in and care. And most importantly, you are not alone because we believe that the God of the universe is with you, that his spirit is around you, that he sees you and is aware of everything you are carrying, both physically and emotionally and spiritually. You are not alone. I think oftentimes we grow up in a culture, maybe in a home, maybe in a city, maybe it's America or the world at large, but we grow up and we learn that there's some things that other people just don't really like to hear about. Uh, maybe you are the, were the kind of kid that was very emotional or, or emotive, and uh, in your home, maybe there was an invitation for you to be as emotional as you want in your room with the door closed. You can be emotional, just not around me. Uh, we don't feel those things in this house. And maybe you grew up in a scenario where you learned really early on that there were some things that other people just weren't okay hearing about or feeling. That continues to carry. That shows up in relationships. Even we learn those things in dating relationships. And in marriage, you kind of begin to navigate of like, okay, here's a topic that I'm not going to actually talk about because they really don't know how to handle this conversation. And so what happens is we begin to, to find ourselves isolated. We put up walls. And part of it is to protect us, but part of it is because we feel like we need to protect the people that we love and we care about. I don't want them to have to carry this thing. I don't want them to have to see me in a different way. And I think also in the church, oftentimes in religion, there has become a stigma. This idea has been somehow passed on that as a Christian, you're supposed to feel happy all the time. You should feel happy. You know, didn't Jesus raise from the dead? Be happy. You know, this idea of like, uh, well, have faith over fear. It's very simple, right? It's just flip that switch. Uh, maybe you know someone like this. I grew up in uh, a few different churches and different style churches. And, and, you know, usually people, when you ask them how they're doing, like people always give you the, oh, I'm good. You know, it's like, I'm not sure how honest that is, but it's just like a, it's just a blanket statement. But every once in a while... You'll find someone, and every time you ask them how they're doing, and they just say, I'm blessed. And there's a sense of like, okay, like, are you really? Like, I know you are. We all are. It is true. We are all blessed. But there's this sense, almost like a disconnect of, well, I know that you also are alive. And things are hard. And not every day is great. And not every, you know, it's like, so can we begin to be honest about these things? And I feel like sometimes the church has has inadvertently, not on purpose, and I think we have good intentions, but I think sometimes we have caused people to, to even shut out some of those difficult seasons and those painful things. And what happens then is we begin to feel shame, the sense of, well, am I not a Christian? Do I not have enough faith? 
Why do I still wrestle with depression? Why am I still feeling these, these anxious thoughts? Is there something broken or wrong with me and nobody else has this? And again, I just wanna, I wanna say you're not alone. And I'm sorry if the church or if pastors have caused you to feel that way. A couple of statistics for you guys just to paint a picture that um, this is really such a significant thing. Between 2015 and 2018, one study that was done found that every month, 13.2% of people in the U.S. used antidepressant medications. So just over uh, uh, one out of, what's the number I'm looking for here? One out of 20? You guys, I should do math before I do this. Uh, 13.2%, whatever number that is. That's a lot of people. Every month, uh, you know, one uh, out of every... Why can't I, why is my brain shutting down? Is it one out of 10? It's just over one out of 10. That's the number. 1.3 Thank you. 1.3 out of 10. You can go to Rick Garvey, surprisingly, for all of your mathematic needs. That's what you get for playing poker for 40 years. You can do math real quick. Oh my gosh, you guys, it's been a draining day. Um, so uh, the reality is, is that this is even higher among older adults. Um, they found that adults over 60 uh, use antidepressant medications at 19.1%. And it's not just older people, it's younger people. Suicide is the third leading cause of death among teens between 12 and 19 years old. Uh, I say all this not to be sad or um, uh, to, to make just a heaviness, but because it's important, like, you, you are not alone, uh, Alec, actually, all this month, he's going to be talking about these same things in our student ministries because this continues, anxiety and depression, it continues to become more and more of a challenge for people of all ages. I read, um, there's a book called Noonday Demon, which is like a really intense book name, but it talks about depression and the way that it's able to strike and, and affect people. And, and the writer of this book, they say that the onset of depression is a lot like heart disease. It's caused by a complex set of factors, they say, including genetic predisposition, emotional factors like how we handle stress, and habits like diet and exercise. So what they're saying is that there's this aspect of depression in our lives and the way that we experience it, there's a number of things that kind of go into this, and it's, it's not the same for every individual. There's different factors that kind of weigh into this. Some of us uh, have all three, some of us have one, some of us have, you know, whatever it might be, but, but some of it is genetic, some of it is, is habits, uh, and some of it is emotional factors. And so one of the things that's important for us is, and they're connecting the dots to heart disease, and it's important for us to realize that some of us, this is a very serious thing we need to pay attention to in this moment, and for others of us, we just need to learn how to become healthy and how we deal with these things. They say you don't catch heart disease from an infection, you develop it gradually, over time, but one day you cross an invisible threshold marked by standards of blood pressure and cholesterol levels, and you now have a heart disease. It's often made evident by a heart attack, a physical breakdown. And now you're going to have to deal with this condition for the rest of your life. Yesterday, you were technically normal, and today, you're in a battle. So we want to treat unhealth before it causes heart attacks, but we don't always do the work to make that a reality, and it's the same with depression. Oftentimes, we wait until there's a breakdown to get help instead of dealing with it now. 
And so again, there's this invitation of maybe you find yourself and you would say, yes, this is a reality for me. And then maybe there are some of us that just need to begin paying attention to some of these things and pursuing emotional health now, not waiting for some sort of breakdown. I've talked to a number of friends. One of our campus pastors has been on a journey and very honest with his battle with depression and throughout most of his life. And we have a teaching team that works together. And, and he said, depression can be really hard to describe because it often manifests itself in different ways and different types of people. When some people are depressed, they eat too much and some will eat nothing at all. Some people sleep constantly and some have insomnia. Depression in some people causes them to not be able to get out of bed, while others will avoid their feelings through constant activity and obsessions. So there's not really one way that we can just see like, oh, this is happening right now in their life because it is so varied. And one definition of depression that I thought was helpful is that it's the experience of long-term joylessness, hopelessness, and inadequacy. Depression exists on a spectrum it's not sadness as much as it is numbness, an ability to experience a full, an inability to experience a full range of motion. And I think it's an important thing because for a lot of people that don't have to face this day after day, we assume that depression is just a really heavy sadness. And that's not always what it looks like. That's why so often we can be friends with someone and not know what they're actually going through because they're not sad, they're numb. That's why there's people like my friend who I spoke with, and as I look back on the years that I've known him, I would say, I would have never known. I would have never guessed. And if we're honest, how many times on the news or in other conversations have we heard people say things like, I never knew. I never knew they dealt with that. I never knew that's what was going on in their life. Because so often people feel this need to... to to have this on their own and it becomes isolating and they want to save themselves from dealing with it or save others from dealing with it. So it's an important thing that we begin to talk about. Everyone experiences moments of joylessness or hopelessness or inadequacy, like when you can't convert a percentage into like a number of people, it's very inadequate feeling. We all experience moments of these things, and it's okay that we experience those because we were created with feelings and with emotions. But when sorrow moves beyond uh, a moment or uh, an experience into a way of being, that's when we can begin to get concerned. I think one of the things that surprised me over the last few weeks is learning how much depression and anxiety show up in the scriptures. All throughout the scripture, we see spiritual heroes wrestling with the full gambit, the full experience of, of emotions and feelings. And uh, I've been in church most of my life. There was a couple years where I did other things, uh, which we won't need to get into at this point. But um, I've read a lot of these stories. I'm familiar with a lot of these people, and I've read these passages, and oftentimes I just... I never actually picked up on what it was that they were articulating, I think sometimes because it's not something that I personally felt or wrestled with. But over the last week, as I've read uh, alongside the scriptures, I've read this other information about what depression and anxiety looks like and feels like and how it shows up. I can't help but recognize what some of these heroes of our spiritual faith may have been dealing with also. We don't have time to look at all of them today, but we're going to look at some of them over the next few weeks 
But even if you just think through the very oldest book in the Bible, most people, if I were to say, what's the oldest book in the Bible, most of us would probably say Genesis. It's the first one in the Bible, and it talks about the beginning. But most scholars actually believe that Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Or if you're new to church and Christianity, Job is the oldest <laughs> book in the Bible. Uh, and, uh, and it's interesting because it's one of the most ancient texts written, and the entire book is about suffering, the entire thing. And there's a little bit right in the beginning where everything first starts to happen and everything gets taken away from Job and he's lost his children and he's lost all of his stuff and he is sick and has nothing to show for it. And he still has this beautiful faith where he says, uh, naked, naked I came into the world and naked I will leave. And all that matters is that God is with me. And then the next chapter, he's like, okay, this sucks. And then Job's friends come, and they tell him how terrible he is, and he, all the things he must be doing wrong. And, and it goes on and on of this brutal interaction with the reality of suffering. And it shows up in other characters. Again, we'll look at some of these over the next few weeks, but a woman named Hannah wrestled with this. Elijah, one of the most well-known prophets, dealt with this. David, who a lot of us are familiar with, King David, he wrote so many of the Psalms, and as you think of the Psalms, there's a lot of high highs. There's a lot of like, God, you are worthy of all of our praise forever, and you're so good. And then, did you forget about me? Like, I'm down here really struggling through it. And, and so David has this kind of pendulum of emotions. Jeremiah, a lot of people thought that the prophet Jeremiah dealt with depression. Saul um, and even Jesus had moments of absolute grief. Today, I want to look at uh, one Psalm in in particular, because we can't talk about this forever. Um, most of the Psalms were written by David, but there were other people that wrote Psalms. Uh, specifically, there was this one group, they were called the Sons of Korah, and they worked in the temple and they wrote songs that should, uh, Psalms to be sung and to be read aloud in the temple during worship services. So they were kind of the songwriters of the time. And I want to read one of these, and the, the best part about this is that this psalm, Psalm 88, was written by a man, a man named He-Man. You can't, you can't make it up. Uh, and so any moment of lightness that I can find in a message like today. So we're going to read from He-Man, Psalm 88. And again, um, there's a really good chance that you guys will leave church today being like, that was really heavy. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with us experiencing things and, and feeling some sort of way. It's okay for us to feel these things. Psalm 88, I'm going to read through this, and I think we'll have it on the screen as well. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night, I cry out to you. Make my prayer come before you and turn your ear to my cry. I'm overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like one without strength. I'm set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, who you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You've put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath, again, he's writing to God. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You've overwhelmed me with all of your waves. You've taken from my closest, uh, you've taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. 
I'm confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? Are your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I've suffered and been close to death. I've borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. This is in the Bible. This is not someone's private journal. This was a song that was written to be sung in church. So I asked Jamie if she would come back up. No, I'm just kidding. Um, This is heavy, dark, painful, brutal. This is not, I had a bad day and I want to talk to God about it. This is, I have carried this weight too long and I am on the verge of giving up. And I think it's so important for us to come face to face with it being in the Bible because it means that there's something in here that God wants us to understand. There's something in here that God wants us to learn from. We believe that all of the scripture is inspired by God and it's meant to teach us, it's meant to correct us, it's meant to help us understand who God is and who we are in relation to humanity. And so Psalm 88 teaches us something, and I believe that it teaches us that God is absolutely comfortable with the darkest parts of our lives, that we are not alone, that we come from a long tradition of people who are broken in various ways, who wrestle with different things. And in Psalm 88, we find ourselves in a place where we see the emotional carnage of someone wrestling with this type of pain. And I think it's important for us all as the church to hear it. Because there's people around us all over the place, in your work and in your homes and in your neighborhoods that also feel this way. And that that should break our hearts. We should want to be close with them. Another reason why I love Psalm 88 is because, again, this isn't something that was written to be read in the privacy of one person's home. This isn't something that He-Man wrote uh, as a letter to his counselor. This is something that He-Man wrote and sang along with a bunch of other people that may or may not have been feeling the same way. A bunch of people surrounded each other and said, this is how some of us feel, and we're all here for it. We all hear it. We all acknowledge it. And that's what we get to do in this series. None of us get to say, like, oh, this isn't for me. No, it's for us, because it's our families. It's our friends. It's our small groups. 
It's our church members. It's our people in the community that are wrestling with this. So the first step that I think is incredibly important is for us to recognize that we're not alone. And the second thing is for us to be able to begin to articulate some of these things out loud, to identify some of these things that we're dragging like the bottom of this barrel as far as feelings and numbness and, and the gravity of this. And, and instead of being able to try and control it or cover it or, or deny it or protect others from it, if that's the thought that we have in our mind, it's important for us to realize that we can actually speak these things out loud. It's important for us to find friends and people in our lives that we can be honest with and talk about these things with, to bring this to the surface around safe people who can validate and help us through it. Just acknowledging it alone isn't going to fix it, but it's such an important part acknowledging what is there, saying out loud what is there is such an important part. It requires faith, this belief that God is with us, and, and we can call out in honesty and vulnerability, and it also might require help. Like I said in the beginning, I believe that God can heal and help and transform, and I believe that we can also take steps and see professionals that can help us navigate and find hope and health in these things. Both of these things can be a reality. But the first step is to do some introspection and to begin to get honest with ourselves. And again, I'm going to speak to both groups here. The one out of five who are dealing with depression and anxiety and the four out of five who are not specifically dealing with it. For the one out of five, if you're here and maybe you don't have someone in your life, maybe you haven't taken that step to find help, I want to make sure that, that we give you every tool and resource to be able to do that today. I encourage you to take those steps. And maybe if you have begun, I want you to continue taking those steps. And for the other four out of five of us that may be just really kind of bothered that I read such a depressing chapter out of the Bible... There may be a part of you that's like, well, I didn't come to church to hear that kind of darkness. I, I want to suggest that maybe you aren't comfortable enough with the heaviness of life, with difficult feelings. Maybe the uncomfortable for you, the, the knee-jerk reaction, the, the way you want to kind of solve it and put a little bow on top of it and say it's all going to be okay and, and, and just pretend like it doesn't hurt. I want to invite you also to articulate and be able to learn how to become comfortable with these types of feelings. We need to be able to say these things out loud, become honest with ourselves and others. One of the things that I heard a pastor say one time, and it's catchy, and so I've always remembered it, and now you guys will too, is that God won't heal what we won't reveal. And I think that there is a very real truth to this, that it's important for us to be able to say things. The biblical language for this is to confess. And sometimes we think of this word of confess as only something that we do about our sins. We confess our sins, and Scripture says God is faithful to forgive us for those sins. And that's an important part for us to confess our sins. But confessing, oftentimes it just has to do with saying it out loud. And in James, it says that when we confess, we're able to be healed. There's an aspect of when we try and control and bury 
Barry, sorry, I'm from another state. Uh, sometimes I say things in weird ways. Burry, uh, that's my North Carolina coming out. When we try and control and bury things deep, when we pretend like they're not there, we're spending energy and time trying to, to make this seem like it's not there or like it's okay. And it's impossible to be healed if we're not willing to say, this is a thing. I'm struggling. I'm feeling anxious. I'm wrestling with depression. I, I feel isolated and alone. God wants to heal us, and there's an invitation for us to speak these things out loud. Um, I don't have time to turn there, but Psalm 42 is another one of these psalms where there's kind of this spectrum of really low moments and, but I believe you're still God, and here's how I'm feeling, but I believe that you're good. And there's one line, Psalm 42, 11, that's repeated over and over again. And it says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And I think that these first two lines, and again, this is kind of repeated almost as a chorus in this song. And I think these first two lines are incredibly important for us. They're not just theoretical questions like, oh, I wonder why I'm bummed. I think they're actually things we should ask ourselves and we should really dig in. What is it that is going on inside of me? How can I articulate what I'm actually feeling in my heart and in my mind? It's an important thing for us to begin to ask these questions of ourselves. One person, they were talking about anger specifically, um, but they said, you know, anytime I start to feel anger, I ask, who sent you? Why is it that you have come to me? Why am I feeling angry right now? He's like, oftentimes it's because I was embarrassed about something or I felt shame or I felt hurt. There's this, well, I'm feeling a certain way, but, but why, my soul, are you downcast? What is it that's causing you to feel this way? And so I want to give just two questions. Um, we're calling these journaling prompts. There's going to be a lot of opportunities over the next few weeks for us to kind of think through and process, but two questions for us to consider. And again, this is for all of us, five out of five of us, regardless of what category you may place yourself in. I want you to, to, to write these down or maybe take a picture of them. And I think that these can help put you in touch with what's going on inside of you, as well as find ways to talk about these things with the people around you. So the first one, is what emotions do you avoid because you see them as unsafe, unacceptable, or inappropriate? For us to consider these things, think about, um, maybe just spend the next day or two. Maybe you already know what the answers are. Maybe you need to process a little bit. But what emotions do you avoid because you see them as unsafe, unacceptable, or inappropriate? And maybe they feel unsafe to you, Maybe you think that it feels unsafe to feel this way around someone else. But as we begin, uh, this is another way of asking ourselves. This is a 2022 way of asking ourselves, why, oh soul, oh my soul, do you feel downcast? And then the second one is, what is it that you do to keep yourself from fully feeling them? Because oftentimes we find ourselves denying that they exist Oftentimes we turn to things to numb us from feeling things. We, we decide we want to become so busy that I don't want to have to actually acknowledge this thing that is in my life. 
So what is it that we're doing to keep ourselves? And as we wrap up, I just, I want to make it really clear that solidarity, knowing that we're not alone, that there's people that are not only with us, beside us, that have gone on before us, it is one of the most important things that we can experience in life. And the solidarity comes from people that we know and love. It comes from strangers. It comes from resources and books and counselors and other things. It comes from scriptures and people and history that have dealt with some of these things. And and the solidarity comes from God being with us as well. Psalm 34 is something I really want us to hold on to over these next few weeks. Verse 17 and 18, it says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all of their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. It's so important for us to hold on to this promise, to this truth. It's not an opportunity. It's not an excuse to dismiss pain or negative feelings or any of these types of things. It's actually an encouragement for us to feel them to be honest about them because God is close, maybe closest with the brokenhearted and those who are crushed in spirit. No matter what fight or war or dysfunction or pain or tragedy or sorrow or struggle you are up against, there is always a way out. Many others have walked through this valley and come out the other side. And whether you find yourself sinking deep into a version of hell in your own life, whether you feel like the end is right around the corner like He-Man wrote about, or whether you find yourself in a place believing that there is a light on the horizon and there's a future possible, God is there. He is at your side. He is faithful to hear your whispers for help your shouts of questions, and he will show you the path of life. There is always hope. God loves you and God is with you. And that is not meant to remove pain. That is meant to give us the courage to face it head on. Let's pray together.